morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome to another episode of The Fields, the best place for the worst takes on the only league in Europe that doesn't allow teams to use five substitutions. My name is Emilio Calderon, and we have our first ever guest on the pod this week. I am joined by my good friend, Mark Kastner. Mark is a contributor to the Liverpool Offside blog, SB Nation's home for news and analysis of Liverpool, and an editor of Sounder at Heart. SB Nation's equivalent for the Seattle Sounders, as well as co-host of the podcast with the same name. We talk about Manchester City hosting Liverpool in the last round of Premier League fixtures, what this game taught us about the title race, and we also go back and forth on our favorites for finishing in the top four, as well as the bottom three. It's a real long sit-down, so get comfy before you settle in for this one. Now, to my conversation with Mark Kastner. I'm joined today by my good friend, Mark Kastner. Mark, how are you doing today? Uh, good. I'm a little under the weather, but otherwise in good spirits. Always. I appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, for some context, I love this specific interview slash guest because uh, Mark and I are literary foils. Uh, I am a Manchester City supporter who lives in Los Angeles, and Mark is a Liverpool supporter who lives in Seattle. Uh, whatever deities exist have faded for us to exist and feud for eternity on social media. <laughs> uh, so that said, obviously, we're here to talk about uh, the biggest game in the world, the new El Clasico. It was Manchester City-Liverpool, which ended uh, 1-1. Uh, in short, this game was kind of bad. Uh, I'll let you start. What were your thoughts on this game at large? <laughs> I think that it, it it failed to live up to the billing, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but otherwise, I think if you start looking at the context of everything that's going on, um, it's okay that it happened this way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I, I think I think it's weird when you have a match where uh, both supporters are happy with the result, broadly speaking, and also somewhat disappointed in their team's performance, also broadly speaking. So, um, yeah, but I think like that's just kind of football in twenty twenty. It's uh, it's meant to be this distraction, and it kind of sucks, but. Um, here we are anyways <laughs> yeah that's definitely the best way to, yeah like this game is the most like 2020 slash 21 game that we could have possibly gotten because we got what were supposed to be two of the best teams in the world and to some people these are the two best teams in the world arguably they're at least and the two best teams in england in england for sure definitely but uh uh, let's let's get into more the nitty gritty of the game. Um, so both teams defended kind of in a four two three one, but they kind of said fuck it and attacked in a four two four. Liverpool were good for good for the they dominated the opening half hour. They were good for like until like the hour mark for the rest. Of, but I think City were better over the course of the entire game. But I don't think that says much i mean we talked about before we started i mean they literally took 17 shots combined liverpool took 10 uh city took seven uh what were your thoughts uh on the opening half hour because i mean personally i honestly think a fully fit liverpool probably score more and probably take this game out like early yeah so i think that that 
opening half hour was Jurgen Klopp's plan to win the game. Yeah. Um, and what's what's interesting, I, I think if you look back at the the game that happened on Sunday and then also the game that happened um, during the restart where Manchester City actually won 4-0 right after mm-hmm. um, losing to Chelsea and obviously clinching the title for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be I would be really surprised if you watched the first 30 minutes of this match and the first 30 minutes of that match side by side. I don't think there would be a lot of differences because mm. um, I think the way that Jurgen Klopp approaches Manchester City games at the Etihad, it, it, he tries to win it in the first 30 minutes. And if he doesn't, then things kind of change and uh, so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean, at, from the Liverpool perspective, this match kind of, you started you start the game obviously an hour before the game when you see the lineup and you see mm-hmm. all all week Liverpool fans were debating on Twitter about whether to start Roberto Firmino or uh or Jota because he scored a hat trick in the Champions League and so Jurgen Klopp just decided to start both of them and i think that that's <laughs> uh that's indicative of where this team is at right now um i think both in terms of kind of being a little um underwhelming in terms of where they're where they're producing in the league they're, yes they're getting results yes i think most liverpool fans are broadly happy with what's going on but um they're not scoring like they should be and they're certainly not defending like they should be because of the obvious uh, virgil van dyke absence and they just don't have any midfielders right now uh, <laughs> the two the two midfielders that played were the two midfielders that were healthy uh, in Jordan Henderson and um, Jeannie Wijnaldum. So, yeah, I think I think all of that was just kind of like okay, and 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 we're at the end of a of a seven game run in between the two international breaks, where they're playing every three or four days. So Jurgen Klopp approached the game with trying to win in the first thirty minutes. Could have, if if Sadio Mane and, and Salo were better in the penalty area, which is kind yeah, of definitely. A, kind of a weird thing to say like you pick out your two best players as the ones not doing a good enough job but yeah i mean and and then after the after the first 30 minutes things kind of go to hell a little bit from a liverpool perspective and 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 never really get back to um what you want to see but yeah i think and i and i think i think pep guardiola was caught off guard with how Liverpool set up. And I, and I, and I think oh, there's a lot of credit to the Manchester city players that they kind of work out that first 30 minutes. Uh, Rod, uh, Rodri in particular, I thought he struggled. And then the rest of oh, the game, definitely. I thought he was very good. Um, he kind of, he kind of figures it out. And then, and then even the, the goal that um, the goal that city scores with Kevin De Bruyne kind of floating in that space on his right-hand side and just kind of like being where Sadio Mane and the midfielder and and, uh, Robertson aren't just picking up the ball and then um, beating Jesus. I I just thought that like the the first 30 minutes were intense and then it wasn't intense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you went in depth on the midfield because I feel like that's kind of where this game was 
not won or lost, but simply drawn. Because we definitely saw like two midfields like that were kind of out of their respective depths. Like, yeah, you saw Rodri defensively. I mean, I I am one of the Manchester City supporters who I I think Rodri has a lot of talents. He just doesn't fit in this team at all. Like, I don't think he's fit to play as the holder in a Guardiola midfield. And I, I don't want to be unfair to him because there are very few people in the world, frankly, who are fit for that. Even just like historically speaking, it's a very demanding position. And like, it's just one of those positions where like, if you play anyone there, they're bound to make mistakes. And it's like, yeah, there's only like a handful of guys who can do it. But um, yeah, like in this game, game specifically, like literally in the first like five minutes, like they just take him and Gundogan out of the game entirely with balls over the top. Like literally like what, 40 seconds in? Yeah, that one. You have yeah, Alexander literally. Arnold ride over like over the entire midfield uh, to Firmino. And they do that like a few more times. I think like literally a few minutes later, Alexander Arnold finds kind of finds Mane in the far post who's who tries to heads it down for Firmino and yeah they they did that a lot in those opening 10 minutes switching the play and with balls over the top and I mean yeah with a Rodri Gundogan double pivot uh that's that's not like a lot of legs frankly is, is that how City has been setting up so so Liverpool uh-huh. uh hasn't been playing in the 4231 yeah this season or it was really a 4224 like the numbers don't matter and we could probably record a different podcast about what I think about formations, but <laughs> is, is this formation kind of how city have approached this season? So this game was really interesting to me because what Guardiola has had city do is, so they still play in a four, three, three, but what they've been doing is holding the ball in the middle third more because I, th- I think Pep finally acknowledges that they get killed not just on the break, but with any teams at pace. And they, it ends up like stretching the back four and their midfield doesn't have the legs to recover. And so what he's doing is j- literally he they're trying to score first and killing the game off by just possessing the ball. It's kind of like Del Bosque Spain <laughs> kind of deal. Yeah, honestly, yeah, that's literally it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like this four two four was like base like De Bruyne would always play on the right side in the midfield three, but in this game, I th- I think Pep was hoping to kind of catch Liverpool off by playing De Bruyne so high up so aggressively, and then obviously that I mean it worked to an extent, but it only worked be- in a weird way because Liverpool didn't take more advantage of their own four two four in the spaces they were able to find with it. So yeah, in a weird way, the changes that both teams made kind of canceled out each other. Yeah, and I th- like these are the two best. I'll you know, I'll say it. They're the two best managers in the world. They're at least mm. like both of their critics would have to admit they're at least two of the best five managers in the world. So, and with the two teams respectively being the two best in the country that they play in. They've played a lot over the years, especially over the last three or four seasons. And I think, I think Jurgen Klopp's beaten Pep Guardiola more than any other manager. So, so so there's a lot, like there's a lot of data there for both of these two teams. And so I'm wondering if we're kind of at a point where you don't really, there's just not much to separate these two teams. So, both managers have to try to figure out like 
I have to do something weird here, like play Diego Jada on the right, mm-hmm. and or you know Kevin De Bruyne as a second striker or whatever to to get those margins, or try to or try to find something to beat the other manager. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this was a yeah, this was definitely a weird game. Although, yeah, it was. Uh, we've already said it. This was a game that kind of encapsulated both everything good and everything bad about this season, like so far for football in general. Um, I, I kind of kept put it low on our talking points for the game, but uh, let's just bring it up now. Uh, so yeah, uh, Klopp, Guardiola, and well, frankly, all the uh, top four are traditional big six clubs. Their managers were talked about uh, not having three substitutions. Five. And, Oh yeah, not, yeah. not having five substitutions, and so the, uh, the Premier League is the only only uh, top five European league that only uses three. I believe the Bundesliga, La Liga, Syria, and Liga all use five. Even the Scottish Premier, even the Scottish Premiership has five subs. By the way. <laughs> that should give you an idea. <laughs> um, but I just thought, see, so I I agree that like I think the game. So here's the thing. The argument for against five subs, at least from a lot of media per- personalities, is that it will only benefit the big clubs. And I can't lie, that infuriates me like so much because, look, that may be true, but ultimately, this is just something for the well being of all players on all teams at like all levels. And so I don't understand why people are so concerned about this being about the depth of quote-unquote big clubs but also club guardiola didn't even use their three subs in this game <laughs> i have i have some conspiracy theories about that uh-huh. if, you, if you want to get not serious for a second oh absolutely so you're never serious <laughs> <laughs> i'm definitely not serious but so i think like as you mentioned at the top like there's there's obviously a rivalry between Manchester City and Liverpool fans, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and even to an extent, there's there's some weird stuff that's happened between the players. Like, you know, when when City uh, when City won the title at Brighton by a point, there's that video of them flying home, sing, like singing that absurd song. <laughs> uh, but then there's also like, you have like some Liverpool players like, doing some stuff on social media about Manchester city. But with all that to say, I think these two managers are probably more friends than they are enemies. As, oh, definitely. As much as like, I like to make fun of Pep for being bald. I think Jurgen Klopp probably really appreciates Pep Guardiola. But he is bald. Let, let the record yeah, show that. He is very bald. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so with that, I think, I think they probably talk more I think they probably talk a lot more than I think I think just sort of like what we think happens in the world of football. I, they probably talk a few times a year. Um I wouldn't say they're friends or anything. Anyways, the point I'm trying to get at is mm. there was there was three instances from the beginning and the end of the game where uh-huh. where Pep and Klopp are kind of going at it and I don't think they're arguing. <laughs> what I think they're talking to each other is trying to get on the same page and the the final one but uh, that happened in between the 
the first and final whistle was when when Trent Alexander Arnold went off with his injury. Klopp kind of turns and puts his hands up and says, "I can't do anything. I can't do anything else in this game." So I think he doesn't use his third sub because he's worried about somebody else getting injured, and also like he never subs off Trent. So that goes mm, there goes the whole, that's true. There goes the whole game game plan basically. Like he he's. He's Liverpool's number 10. He's the creative fulcrum of this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought both both managers had really interesting comments after the game. Um, and Pep, in particular, he, he said that they, him and Klopp talked about the need for more subs. And I think, um, despite what kind of like what the banter on the internet says, I think this was a signal to the rest of the Premier League that this is supposed to be your best game. This is what you make all your money on. If and we this can, is the game you got. And this yeah. is what you got. After this after the 60th minute, it was done. Or really after the 55th minute, it was gone. It was done. Oh, Every, yeah. Everybody's legs were shot. So I think that I think it was kind of a you know, there's that there's that cliche, oh, both managers shook hands on a point at halftime or you know, you kind of hear pundits say that all the time. But I think that may have actually oh, they happened. Definitely did. Yeah, I think that definitely. actually happened in this game. I think they decided, like, we both get a point out of this. We're both not worse off than we were coming into this game. And now we kind of have a platform to say, this product sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I agree. No. <laughs> uh, uh. All right, moving and, on. And cause... Pep had oh. he he had Phil Foden getting ready, like towards the end of the game. Yeah, I I did find that funny. Like he literally, I I think uh, Lee Dixon literally pointed out that at some point he did take his his like his top off, his training top off, and then a minute later he put it back on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I uh, try to forget everything Lee Dixon says as soon as possible, but I think you're right. I think like I remember at least the U.S broadcast pointing that out and i'm like i'm sure there's tactical reasons for not changing the substitutions like you see it all the time somebody comes on in the 80th minute runs around too much leaves gaps everybody else is tired and then that's how a counterattack happens or something so but i do find it interesting that he was literally getting ready to change the game and i think phil foden was his kind of wild card to bring off the bench and he didn't so that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, back, back to the actual game itself. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, who you think started from the game, but I'll start uh, for both teams, that is. Um, I thought Ruben Diaz uh, has continued his good form for City, and I don't even think it's relatively good. I think he has been uh, the best new center back for City since, well, uh, Laporte joined the side. On the other hand, uh, Gomez for Liverpool was... Even handball aside, I think I, at first I wanted to say he had a below average game. And what I'm going to conclude is this is a guy who similarly his legs are just like gone and he's playing th- like three games a week at this point. Um, but as for good players, I thought Consolo and Jesus for City were both good. Even like a half fit Jesus is good for this team because it's clear that they need a number nine. Uh, for Liverpool, I thought Mane was very good, or at least he was. 
he'd never really drifted away from the game until after the hour mark, at which point the entire Liverpool side kind of drifted away from the game. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, so Joe, Go- like I think Joe Gomez is probably Liverpool's biggest talking point right now. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of, it's either him or Roberto Firmino. But uh, so the thing about Joe Gomez is he's still despite like nearing 150 appearances for Liverpool, he's still pretty young. He's only 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week in the West Ham game, a big deal was made for Nat Phillips starting next to him. Um, who had never played in the premier league before was on loan in uh, the second division in Germany. They were actually trying to sell him on deadline day and didn't get a deal through. Anyways, Nat Phillips, a guy who's never played, he's played one game for Liverpool and was in mm-hmm. like the league cup or something. FA cup. He's two months older than Joe Gomez. (laughs) (laughs) So like here, here you get, you get a guy who gets man of the match for being like a good young defender. And anyways, Joe Gomez, the senior of the two is actually two months younger. Uh, (laughs) Joe Gomez is also playing on the left side, which is where Virgil van Dyke usually plays. Mm -hmm. He's changed positions and um, this isn't your dad's game anymore. Like, left-sided center back is a different position than right-sided center back. Mm-hmm. And he's also historically not the fittest player. Like he, he has had two serious knee injuries and a broken leg uh, in his, in his career at Liverpool. So, uh, and, and he's the guy who everybody's looking at to like kind of fix the Virgil van Dyke hole. And, and, um, this was actually the first time Joel Matip and Joe Gomez partnered in defense for Liverpool. And they've both been there. Um, Joel Matip came in the summer of 2016 uh, after Klopp's first first year. And then uh, Joe Gomez was obviously there. He was signed by Brendan Rodgers. So that's almost five years, and they've never played together <laughs> in, in a in a center back pairing. Um, they played with Gomez on at right back, but and that's also with uh, Matip having his own injury problems. Yeah, the years and too. <laughs> and uh, Matip uh, he played in the Ever- Everton game uh, that Virgil Van Dyke got injured in, um, but his last game before that was in June against Everton, <laughs> which was the first game of the restart. So he basically plays once every four months. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I think Joe Gomez, uh, I, like that handball. I don't. I, I am comfortable with that being a penalty. I don't. Okay, I, I wanted to ask about that. Yeah, huh. I, I like. I'm happy with that kind of being a penalty, just kind of like as a rule. Of course, you don't want to see that called against your team. And then there's that Rodri situation later on in the game, which is like very similar, but. I don't know. I'm. I would just rather referees call that penalty as a penalty, and we just kind of move on. Um, and I like. I just. I don't care to talk about that really. <laughs> if you oh, want no, to, we I, can. No, no, we don't have to. <laughs> I. I thought his performance was really good. Um, for for where he's been at, he's had to play every single game, and before, um, before Virgil Van Dyke got injured, and when Liverpool still had Dejan Lovren. He was one of three center backs that would play. I think he's very good. I think he was the best other center back that Liverpool had has. But um, just the like the expectations are so off the charts for him that it's just it's tough 
to be in his position and he's done very well. Um, I thought Joel Matip was fine. Um, we probably won't see him again for until for another four months, yeah, February <laughs> or whatever. But um, maybe the next time we play Manchester City or Everton. <laughs> Apparently, um, yeah. But that's fine. Um, if this was the one game we needed him for, he did really well for that. <laughs> but I think the rest of the performance around the team was. Uh, highlighted in positive senses and negative senses because of the formation. So in the mm, first yeah. the first half, you had Sala playing through the middle, which uh, I don't really like that. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> weird because in a, in a weird way, I think like like I always compare Sala to Messi because like they're both they're both uh, right sided, left footed attackers, and they their money is cutting inside, and they link very well from cutting inside and providing yeah. other players. But then when you put them in the center, they're kind of awkwardly like, oh, this is the space I would usually want to go to and I'm already here. Yeah. And like Messi looks better dropping deeper centrally than he does starting up top centrally. And yeah, like Salah kind of looked like weirdly lost in that regard. <laughs> well, what he does really well is he comes from that right side and he occupies that space between the fullback and the center back and center back. Mm -hmm. And it makes, makes the defense make decisions. So, okay, you have the center back slide out to double team Mo Salah. Okay. Now there's a ton of space for Roberto Firmino. They do a one, two, you get some of those uh, gorgeous goals like that one um, that he scored against uh, Tottenham comes in mind or he gets into that space and the fullback picks him up and he just kind of cuts inside and, and shoots from outside the box. Like that goal he scored against Chelsea in uh, 2019. Yeah. I think he, I think he wants to be a central forward going forward. I think that's kind of where like mm. he want like kind of like how Cristiano Ronaldo just became a center forward and was no longer. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> I think that that's probably, I think he's more, his skill set is more Ronaldo than it is Messi because I think he's the actual skill set. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. Like, um, you, you know, he, his, his game is predicated on pace and, uh, kicking the ball very hard at the goal and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, kind of, and, and being strong. He's very strong. Um, yeah. So in that sense, I think he kind of wants to end up in the middle, like literally speaking, like, I think he wants to be a center forward, um, but I don't know how that really works, um, uh, with this Liverpool team as it is right now. Cause Jota, he's a left-sided attacker and that's where he did his business with the Wolves. And that's where he started off very well with Liverpool is playing either from central forward going left or coming off the left-hand side, um, and uh, who else did I think had a good game? Uh, Firmino was like really good defensively, I thought. Um, which I know all the jokes are like, oh, defensive. Firmino doesn't score, yeah. he, and he doesn't, and that's a problem. And <laughs> yeah, his, yeah, and his form is bad. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, I'm not about to like lay out a sermon of of how good he's actually been. Can this. I make a weird kind of comparison? Yeah, go ahead. Like for Firmino, I think. Like you can't take for granted what Firmino does because a lot of teams in the world could really use a Firmino who tactically like fits in a lot of positions and of course does the defensive work and occupies his space very well and opens up space for other players. Like a lot, like no joke, a lot of teams in Europe 
could use that right now. Um, but what now that he like apparently no longer knows how to score, <laughs> he's it's he it's kind of become a deal where like, like I like midfielders who are good at everything, and they're kind of like just tasked with not being the weakest link. Uh, one of the primary examples in the Premier League this season is Pierre Emil Hoiberg at Spurs right now, yeah. who I think is is like great, but. The problem is that Firmino is doing that in a forward role. <laughs> like, I literally yeah. think that's what's it. That's literally it, I think. <laughs> and I think, like, he plays he plays a lot deeper than a normal normal striker, and there's all, the, there's all the caveats and stuff. And I think, in addition to, like, not really having three healthy midfielders that could do what Jurgen Klopp wanted to do, with that caveat also of being um, wanting to kind of blitz the first 30 minutes of the game, I think mm-hmm. I think the number one motivation to switching to this formation is um, is uh, Firmino's form. Something similar happened in mm-hmm. the beginning of the um, eighteen nineteen season, where Liverpool actually played fourteen straight games um, w- with this formation. It, it had uh, Jordan Shakiri out on the right at the time, and it was mostly billed as a way to get um, get Fabinho into the team to play in a pivot to kind in of midfield. yeah uh-huh. to to make to make things simpler for him but at the time Roberto Firmino's form was also in a similar dip as it is now so in that in that kind of switch to that formation really helped Firmino uh, in the long run obviously uh, getting 97 points and winning the Champions League is objectively mm-hmm. a good season regardless mm-hmm. of who lifts yes. the Premier League trophy. No, definitely. <laughs> um, and he was like he was pivotal in the run to the Champions League and whatnot. Anyways, um, back to this game and not so much about him. Um, what I thought actually didn't work well, and I kind of talked about it with Jesus' goal in the 31st minute, I thought, I thought Sadio Mane just didn't know what to do all game. Um, and when he was on the ball, like he's obviously brilliant. I think he's Liverpool's best player, even with the healthy Virgil van Dijk. Um, but he was just, he doesn't know where to be in this formation. And I think like, that's probably by design because when, when Mane's at his best, like seems like he doesn't even know what he's about to do. Um, (laughs) and that's, that's not an insult on his intelligence or anything. He's just so... He's such a chaotic player, and I think he harnesses that chaos clearly for good. It's, I'm not calling him stupid or anything, but I see, I see what you're saying yeah. because, like, I I can recall like like he was on the ball like a good amount in in the first, especially in that opening half hour when Liverpool looked so good. But like when you put it that way, because like I thought Mane looked good, and maybe that is true that he looked good. But in this formation, yeah, because in what would usually be a 4-3-3, he usually would like to exploit more space on that left-hand side. But yeah. now with an extra forward up there, or, it gets a little clogged on that line. Yeah, or or he, w- he would know where Roberto Firmino is, or he would know the run that Mo Salah is making. He hasn't played a lot with Jota, so like he doesn't kind of, yeah. and Jota hasn't played on the right, so he doesn't know what's going to happen over there. And it even comes at like, I think the best partnership on Liverpool right now is Mane and Robertson. Like that kind of the interchange those two players have is incredible. And it has been for two and a half seasons now. 
But even in this formation, he doesn't know the type of runs Robertson's going to be making because by default, the fullbacks are much deeper in a 4 yeah. 1 than they are. He doesn't have that overlap option like he yeah. usually would. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought he was just kind of, he was just kind of whatever, but he does draw the penalty and because like kind of out of that frustration, like I actually thought like he, when he picked up the ball just outside the box, I think he was just determined to dribble at the goal and then Kyle Walker tripped him. So, uh, Mm. and, but nothing was going to happen from that. He was dribbling into five defenders. (laughs) So it just so happened that he dribbled into a space where Kyle Walker was defending. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with this formation going forward because I don't think it did anybody any favors that it was supposed to. Um, and, and hopefully after the international break, Liverpool has, has some healthy players, but I doubt it because healthy players after an international break in <laughs> yeah. the season, you are a funny guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I just, I don't, I like, I, I, I wrote, I wrote a, the, uh, the recap for uh, Liverpool offside after this game. And I was just kind of like, uh-huh. I genuinely don't know what the manager <laughs> thinks right now. Like usually I have a pretty good idea or at least a guess on like how Jurgen Klopp feels about the game. Cause he's a pretty on- honest person in his post game stuff. And I just didn't, he, he complained about the subs. He complained about some executive at the premier league that I'd never heard of. And <laughs> Uh, he complained about Trent getting injured, and that was it. <laughs> so, uh, oh, uh, not to interrupt, but yeah. I we can I can transition this to a question, which I your answer may be no already, but it was: uh, Did this game teach us anything about either of these teams? Is your answer no for Liverpool? Then <laughs> I think I think it did. Uh, mm. I think that. Um, I think especially the last 30 minutes, actually, which I think we mm-hmm. both agree is the worst part of the game, the, you know, the final third of the game. Mm-hmm. I think because this fixture for the last three years, even the even the season that um, City got 100 points and Liverpool finished fourth on, I think it was 75 or 76 points mm-hmm. where they weren't close on the table. Um, but, you know, they had the Champions League. Uh, tie, uh, that was the final right yeah uh-huh. uh like this fixture has been so intense and it's been it's been like make or break like um the two the two one at city in 2019 like most liverpool fans were like that's when we lost the title the the um the was it the john stones goal line clearance Oh yeah, the that game. so-called millimeter clearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, every fixture it was was so intense, and then this one felt like a game where both managers could go to each other and say, "Let's take a draw and see where we're at in three months," and just kind of like, and I think that that I don't know if that teaches us anything about the the two teams, but I think it teaches us a lot about the type of season we're about to have. Uh, or are having at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this, uh, I didn't, th- honestly, I don't, I didn't think I was going to learn a lot about this game, but wh- I feel like 
Well, a fully fit Liverpool definitely wins this game, in my opinion. Like, definitely wins this game. Like, it, it may be close in the end, but I think they definitely, like, it's a matter of scoring more than City. At least this City, at least. Um, but, yeah, that, for as boring slash bad, however you feel about it, that last third of the game, I think it showed us that Guardiola's kind of, like, a control experiment by killing games in like the second half and just controlling possession is working and i'm just not sure if that's like a thing he wanted to happen or if it's just out of necessity or maybe both i don't know that yeah this is the season we have and with playing this many games you're kind of just going to need your players to play pinball in their own half for 45 minutes now <laughs> yeah city's goal differential is really interesting to me uh, in the this league. is I I I have I didn't look it up, but I would go ahead and wager that this is definitely the least amount of goals we've scored, and at least like, at least since like Guardiola's first. Yeah, so it's it's like year. it's ten goals for and nine goals against. Yeah, um, <laughs> Liverpool's goal differential is super whacked out because they lost seven because of the seven two. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. the most goals for and against, isn't it? <laughs> uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the <laughs> most goals for since brendan rogers 13 14 and it's the most goals against ever <laughs> uh, which is a lot of fun um and i just don't think that that matters this season <laughs> uh, maybe i'm just saying that because i did watch liverpool get beat 7-2 but uh yeah no, like i th- I think that both managers are broadly speaking, like, okay with what happened. Um, Liverpool could have been up three zero by 30 minutes. Manchester city could have won this game two one. Yeah. Um, and maybe should have on the whole, like, yeah, I, we didn't, we yeah. didn't even get to uh, the Bruyne's penalty miss, <clears throat> which I mean, that's one of those that pundits went long on. I don't even know what you go along on for that. Like, is that like a personality thing? I don't know. For me, he missed a penalty. It was moderately surprising, but I don't know. Everybody on the city side is not good at taking penalties other than the number nine who's injured. <laughs> so, yeah, there's nothing to talk about there, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually kind of like forgot um, that I had, I had detached the Joe Gomez penalty controversy with the fact that they missed the penalty. No, he missed it anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and maybe subconsciously, that's why I don't care that it's a penalty, but, um, and, it, but I still think, uh, city created good chances or at least oh, yeah. got to a point where they were about to create good chances. And the, the shots thing is really interesting because there, there was one shot in the final 35 minutes between both teams. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> and, I didn't real like that's not something I noticed happening. Like it was it hmm. was a boring ish half, but it was still it wasn't it wasn't as end to end as the first thirty minutes, but the teams were still attacking each other. Like when Jordan oh, Shapiro no. came on. Yeah, yeah, I see. He yeah. was he was creating things, but it was just like a through ball was getting nicked by Laporte or uh Kinsella, who I thought was excellent. Um was kind of shutting down Trent or, you know, just kind of like it was two really good teams that are really tired, yeah. uh, <laughs> like trying to make something happen. And it just didn't quite 
it just didn't quite go the way that either team wanted. I was kind of waiting for the like the last the last push, like like especially in that season where these two teams finished one point apart. Mm-hmm. In that second half of the season, both teams had that last 10 minute push to win so many games so many games yeah and i was expecting that to happen in this one and i was kind of like i was kind of expecting it to get to like 75 and it be 1-1 and then maybe this game ends 3-3 or or <laughs> or or 2-2 or 3-2 or something just because that push would have happened and it, it, oh, it you're an optimistic guy <laughs> I th- like I thought in the moment like okay that's what they're conserving their energy for obviously looking back on it no they were just that's, they're just that tired <laughs> um, but your brain does funny things you watch so many football matches over the years and then you 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 can't quite contextualize things as quickly as maybe you should so yeah that's fair <laughs> no I think that, that you made a good point there that uh well I I think the that the last 30 minutes were like objectively they were boring per se and to an entertainment standpoint they were arguably bad but technically yeah it was fascinating to see that while there was only one shot from either team it wasn't necessarily that the teams performed poorly offensively not like per se like not to diverge too much but like like in like Arsenal or Leicester this season, or yeah. two, like teams that would have like a lot of possession, like possession that but would struggle to actually get into the box, and are kind of just like switching it side to side, waiting for an opening. This team was like kind of finding spaces; they just weren't finding the final ball like at all. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that like that is where fatigue sets in the most. Yeah. It's it's with the finishing and it's with the final ball being the played. final ball and running out of the final ball. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's the whole thing that needs to happen. <laughs> you, you can, you can deal with fatigue. And I think that maybe Arsenal, uh, before they just got trounced by Villa, but they were kind of a good example <laughs> of that. Like they worked the ball up to the penalty area. Maybe Brighton is actually a better example of this Yeah, <laughs> where it, they de- like they don't play as much as Liverpool or City, but they're they're playing a lot. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they can work the ball up to the penalty area, but they just don't finish. Yeah, uh, I think I think you saw Liverpool and City like getting into dangerous areas and then just being so exhausted because you have to work so hard against these two teams. Um, each, you know, Liverpool has to work hard against City, and City has to work hard against Liverpool. That they just didn't have, they just didn't have that last sprint in them, or that um, that diag- diagonal run in front of the the center back, or there just wasn't that that energy there to get that done. Yeah. Well, we've gone along on this game. Uh, the closing question to close this one out uh does this game change how you feel about the title race at all although i okay well let's preface this uh was your title favorite city or liverpool uh i like before this game or after uh before the season even started if before the season even started i thought liverpool were favorites um just slightly uh yeah because i I agree they they were slight favorites in my book okay but it was because I didn't think that 
they bolstered their attack enough. Um, and what, and now I think Fernand Torres is pretty good. Um, I wasn't convinced about their uh, defensive spending, even though now I think Ruben Diaz is fine. And if Laporte yeah. stays healthy, that's fine. Um, nobody needs a left back except Liverpool. So it doesn't matter who <laughs> plays there. Um, and Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> well, they play with like three left backs sometimes. Oh, that is true. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway. so then Virgil van Dyke gets injured. And I think that that puts it a little more into cities uh, camp. And now I think it's maybe even, um, although mm. getting a point in the away fixture of this match I, or of this um, rivalry, I think is great. So, Oh yeah. Um, I actually, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the return at Anfield, whenever that is, it could be next week. Um, I looked <laughs> at the schedule. Um, I think it, that will also probably be a draw, but um, yeah, I like, in a, in a weird way, the last three years, these two teams have kind of like blown the doors off of what we're supposed to accept or expect as a title race. And I think like yeah. <laughs> because of a global pandemic, because there's no fans in the stands, because they're playing every 16 minutes, like it kind of has returned everything back to normal. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we'll know who's in the title race until mid-February. Um, whereas in the last few years, it's like, okay, how many points is Manchester city going to get? Can Liverpool beat them to it? Hmm. So I don't know. That's that's a really (laughs) long winded answer saying like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, uh, obviously I might be biased, but I think now having seen what I've seen, even with city now being, I think they're now five five or six points back of Leicester, who's now top of the table. I think just based on quality, I think based on quality, I think City and Liverpool are still the two favorites. But I have to say that I think City's situation is more manageable. And I think they have a better chance, at least better than people might give them credit for, because what's happening with Liverpool is what happened to City last season. And that when they lost Laporte, this team literally like looked lost. Like this team was like literally broken for two months, and Liverpool are very unlucky to now have injuries to the rest of basically every center back they employ. <laughs> so, yeah, I this game doesn't change how I feel about either team that much. But yeah, I think City have a teensy bit of a better chance. Although I, I do have one bonus question for you. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on Guardiola wearing a cardigan in the rain? Oh man. <laughs> He wore that gray cardigan for like a year. <laughs> Not the one that he wore this weekend. Um, but I know what you're talking about. He has like yeah. a, a gray, like not quite V-neck, but like a V-shaped collar cart. Is this what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. The I think dark it, gray one. <laughs> I think it actually ended up getting like auctioned off for charity or something. I saw, I don't know. Really? I yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, but he, he, we just don't have the same the same thoughts about what clothes should do. <laughs> uh, I think Guardiola's so, answer would be that we're just built different. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and, and all power to him. But, uh, 
like did he not know it was gonna rain like i don't he has to know right i mean it's, it's, pop wears it's, the same thing regardless if it's 80 degrees I mean, yeah, or... he's, he's, he's wearing a track suit yeah and he and he, he he wore a a sweater vest for this so yeah he was prepared but like yeah. it's like it's november in manchester like i don't know dude <laughs> yeah like and i don't even know if he cares uh, that's true do you so, do you think do you think secretly he's actually just like really really cold but he just like keeps it on because like i started with this i'm gonna end with this thing on maybe uh, <laughs> and maybe it's maybe it's 600 dollars and he's gonna throw it away regardless <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so pep is canceled for <laughs> apparently spending at least a grand on new cardigans and shirts every week Jeez. honestly honestly believable He's getting it. He's getting it from the sneaker app. <laughs> oh, so that's what he's doing. He's hacking the sneakers app, and he's actually getting drops on it. Sheesh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as much as you said, you generally forget everything Lee Dixon said. He did have a good line about this. He said, "Pep sitting on the bench because he can't set up his cardigan weighs so much." <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, and that, and maybe, uh, that, maybe that, like, we never talk about the weather affecting. English Premier League. That's true. Yeah, um, maybe that had something to do with it because right after halftime, it started like oh, pouring. It was pouring. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> and I don't, like I just think it's kind of funny if Jordan Anderson's like, oh, I can't, I can't deal with this. Not today. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Everything else that's going on, fuck this. I can't do the rain too. <laughs> Maybe that's why the game ended the way it did. You know, they're probably that, that, that's a fair talking point. I, I I I forgot what show or pod brought this up, but that is true. I mean, imagine stepping around in that for ninety straight minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. But yeah, that was the wonderful, wonderful uh English Classico, whatever label we're gonna give it. I'm sure uh pundits around the world will find a label for it eventually. Um, probably by the time it starts getting bad like, like <laughs> oh yeah like like and like instead of like lot like last year when it was still like good we'll have found like a really bad cliche name for it like how like how Bayern versus Dortmund is not der Klassiker as if like Bayern doesn't win literally almost every iteration <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah uh, we can talk about we we can talk about the other teams that reside in the Premier League because there are other teams that reside in it. Believe it or not, um, just a few questions. Um, are there any good teams in the league? Like seriously, <laughs> there, like, yeah, I, I I think so. <laughs> okay, so let let's so let's clarify that. So City and Liverpool, I think, are the title challengers. I think you and I both agree on that. Like even bias aside, just based on quality, they are the two favorites for it. Yeah, who's right behind them? Who's the best of the rest? Unless you think there's someone very close. Um, I probably think this team is closer, and I apologize uh, for the squeaking in the background. But I have a dog, and I live. This in is a, a dog apartment. friendly pod. This is a dog friendly pod. Don't worry. Uh, I I probably think this team is closer to Manchester City than maybe anybody else, including the fans of this specific team. But I think Tottenham. Um, has managed the season very well, and they're playing in the oh. in the in the Europa League, um, yeah. and they they have the same amount of points as Liverpool right now. 
um, and they played I, a... I actually agree. They yeah. were actually also my third choice because I think in a regular season, they're still a good team. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think it's very... Like, they're definitely going to finish top six, barring, like, a mat, like a historic collapse. I think they're going to finish play. ahead of Manchester United. Regardless. Ooh, I, I agree. We can... Yeah. Whether that... <laughs> Whether that means they both finish fifth and sixth, or if that means they finish third Top and fourth, four and, yeah, or if that means they that, that means Spurs finish fourth and uh, Man United get relegated, which I think <laughs> great is more realistic, at least in the books, the odds makers' minds. Uh, and another team that I think like could do if so. Here's the thing, it's. Uh, almost the end of November. It will be the end mm -hmm. of November by the next set of fixtures. Uh, yeah. That in a normal season is like 10 or 12 games, but now it's like only what are we at? Nine, nine, nine games. Uh -huh. If there's ever a team that can do what Liverpool did in 13 and 14, which comes out of nowhere, it would be Chelsea. Because they just have like, they have so many guys on that team that can kick it into the goal, which is kind of the primary. <laughs> like that's that's the primary enterprise of this game that we. That's the point of the game. Yeah, yeah soccer so, ball, soccer net. Yes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So, <laughs> and like, if they just get four of their good attackers on the game on the field, I like. I don't think Freak Lampard's very good. But I think I think City's de or uh, excuse me Chelsea's defense is certainly better than the defense Liverpool had seven years ago. So that's fair. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that's and fair. and maybe maybe none of their players are as good as Suarez was, but I think collectively that collectively yeah is can do something like that. So if they go on and score 105 goals this season, that is probably going to give them enough points to win the title. Uh, yeah, even if, even even if they concede ninety, which I don't think they will, but um, you would like to see that, I know. But <laughs> <laughs> it'd be funny, like conceding ninety goals in a Premier League and scoring a hundred, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm here for that. Frank Lampard plays a lot of foot champions. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, damn, you took all. You basically took all of my talking points. I also yeah, think Aston Villa is pretty good. Do. You, how high do you see them finishing? Then? Aston Villa, that is. How? What is the highest you could see them finishing? I think they could do, uh, like, they could finish in a Europa League spot. I agree. Oh, okay, yeah. I so. think a lot of people are viewing this as a they're get they have a very good start to the season and it's going to keep them safe kind of deal. And I agree that no, I think their attack going forward is good enough that. They could definitely pip sixth from if like United continues to struggle in with their midfield and defensive problems and Arsenal continues to not know how to or just literally does not know how to score goals. Or if if Brendan Rogers continues to do Brendan Rogers things. Yeah, like I think if you just kind of if you were to do that thing that people do all the time, like team A versus team B and you know, there's no there's no real context around the the statistics that you're looking at. You, oh yeah. <laughs> and if you look at what Aston Villa is doing, 
And if you, and look you compare at what, that to everyone or, below them, or oh even yeah, that's great. Everton, like who Everton were the the champions of the Premier League in Week Five. Like <laughs> they did it. They finally did it. They did. Uh, <laughs> Stop the count. Yeah, their first trophy in twenty five years. They did it. Uh, if you just kind of take those three teams, wait, whoa, 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 that's not true. They had their own Saint Totteringham Day in what was that twenty twelve thirteen. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. Okay, they still haven't they still haven't beaten Liverpool in over ten years. So, but they did finish. Over that. Uh, That's kind of hilarious. That you bring it up anyway. Anywho, um, the underlying metrics with Aston Villa look very good, even if you caveat that they won a game seven to two. Um, I am immensely worried that. Uh, Jack Grealish is going to continue to get the shit kicked out of him and somebody's going to break his leg. And at that point, they'll probably get relegated. But <laughs> as, long as, as long as he keeps playing, they're very good. Um, uh, as I didn't realize we've talked about so much about Aston Villa, but yeah, it's, it is quite amazing to see like how like the guy really is just like one of Europe's elite attackers right now. Like I think we can like safely say that like He's doing like, like, prime not the exact same, but like, the same kind of way that Prime Messi just continued to dribble at or around defenders. Yeah, or like, and he has- does it like, yeah, it makes like zero sense to me. And he's still getting into the box. I think there's like a stat that half, like literally half of his shots have been blocked, but the other like of the other half that weren't blocked like seven six or seven of them were on target like yeah like the guy's insane also i think what hurt villa a lot last year was all of their number in the same way liverpool have no healthy center backs villa had no healthy number nines and it's kind of like well no matter what kind of tactical setup you employ like you need some guy yeah. who kind of stands up there and scores goals and all they have ollie watkins yeah ollie watkins is great yeah like so, um, but yeah, uh, Spurs, I think w- would have been good regardless, but they are great in the context of the season. Uh, uh, yeah, Chelsea look like uh, whatever you think about Frank Lampard, they're finally figuring out offensively. And yeah, they have the firepower and the depth to kind of just run over people, even if it's just scoring more goals than other people. Yeah. And I like to be clear, I think that that can go very wrong also. Like they, they can finish eighth or ninth uh, hmm. because really? like, i i hmm. okay I, well, so let's get it okay well, let's get into the next question then yeah who are your top four favorites right now because mine are city liverpool uh before i get to the other two i'm not gonna lie i thought about everton not like very high but i think i thought about them maybe pipping fourth but then I it's very clear now that they their depth is not very good. Uh, like I mean, they could very well be health like like James Rodriguez could very well be healthy for the rest of the season. I, no, I can't. <laughs> I, I'm trying to be somewhat optimistic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, assuming he is, I mean they're not playing in Europe. Uh, so I mean, they they could be one of those teams that like pips like fourth, and then it ends up hurting them next season playing a lot more games <laughs> but um the other two teams for me are spurs like i think spurs are the most definite best of the rest 
even in spite of being in the Europa League, mostly because I think their depth isn't better than Chelsea's, but I think they're just more well set up. I think, I, yeah. So, like, I think the backups and the positions that they need backups in are closer to their first team players. Yes. Than Chelsea. So, like, I think the world of Callum Hudson Odoi, but he's not as good as Hakeem Zayek or oh, yeah. Kai Havertz. <laughs> it's just not. Whereas you have you have Lucas, you have Bergwijn, and you have Bale and Lamella, <laughs> kind of as your option as your options for that other midfield position. And they're all kind of relatively good. Like there's not much separating those players right now. Um, So they can rotate a ton and even do different things with different players. Uh, That's why why I like Tottenham. Yeah. That said, my fourth place team is Chelsea. And it really is just because... I think this team really is just that good that I don't know, man. Like if <laughs> I really think if Lampard like can't at least finish fourth, there's no way he can stay. Although my hot take here is that Pochett- Maurizio Pochettino is continually being linked to Manchester United. And I don't think it makes any sense. Not just because Pochettino is good and United is bad but I think United are bad in ways that I don't think anything Poch likes in his side works for what United has right now. And it would take like them overhauling the entire side, and that just won't happen with Ed Woodward as your director of football slash head of transfers. And yeah, I don't know. Chelsea, even with... Okay, Chelsea, even with Frank Lampard, should finish at least fourth. Chelsea with Murcio Pochettino should finish like third. In my opinion, <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm immensely more terrified of him going to a team that will back their manager. <laughs> so uh, I don't I don't like that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry I'm sorry for speaking that into existence. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think broadly speaking, I agree with your top four. Um, although Jamie Vardy is still good. And as long as he's still good, Leicester can probably like, I don't think that Leicester at their best is better than Chelsea or Tottenham at their best. But if either of those two teams, you know, dip for any number of reasons and Leicester stays consistent, which by the way, like if Leicester, so like, of of course I'm going to sound biased here, but, the, the amount of injuries that Liverpool have dealt with this season, I think, is the worst. But if I'm going to say second worst, I'm going to say Leicester. Oh, because... it's definitely Leicester. So, yeah, and, and they're in first right now. <laughs> so fair. Uh, they've gotten 18 points through eight games, which regardless of league position is, is fairly good. And they've only allowed nine goals, uh, which I believe is the best or tied for the best um, defense in the league without um Swain Chu. So or um or indeed or also uh Ricardo, Ricardo Pereira, Pereira as well. So, yeah. Um I think they'll be and they don't have Europe either. And uh Brendan Rogers has gotten better since um he had managed my favorite soccer team. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
I see. You may you may be talking. You may be convincing me here. I like <laughs> that we both talked about top four, and Manchester United did not come into our radar. <laughs> I mean, okay. I guess we can do an addendum here. Like, it just I there's six points off of fourth with the game fourth. in hand. They're only six points off fourth. Yes, but oh, like this team is just like. A lot of people say Chelsea is combustible, and that's not like entirely wrong. Like for me, like United are combust, like totally combustible. Yeah, that's my problem. Like even with how good their attack may like is, well, like I think the season we're seeing, like like Greenwood predictably fell off after having like more than four shots. Like literally, like not even like Messi had like the kind of freakish xg outperformance season that he had last season like literally he had like i like i would venture to say that's probably like the most ridiculous like outperformance of xg we've ever seen from anybody ever <laughs> um yeah so greenwood fell back down to earth so there's and then marshall and rashford while still good are i mean like what people fail to realize about marshall and rashford are these guys are like they're still kind of service strikers like they look very good. Very look. young. That's that's also fair. They're like they're very young. And but, but a lot of people like operate uh, with the uh, assumption that you can kind of stick them in any front two, or like kind of attacking three. But like you're you're putting them in a position where it's like, well, you a lot of people complain about players like. Salah or Messi who like defensively may not hold up their end of the bargain and that, so you're asking a lot of your midfield and I'm like okay but we spend a lot of time talking about how bad United's midfield is and it's like so like I, I don't know what you want to do with this team <laughs> when you have strikers who need to be forward like on a very high line and then a midfield that like isn't very good defensive like I don't know it's a weird and then you have one Aaron Juan Basaka who is like literally like i i don't even like literally like the great one of the greatest defensive fullbacks we have ever seen <laughs> and he's just wildly aggressively average going forward but they need him to go forward because they have no width <laughs> yeah this team is just so weird yeah i think they're bad <laughs> <laughs> thank you okay yeah we can leave it there thank you thank you for ending that. <laughs> uh and uh my last uh, topic of discussion for the Premier League, uh, this is my favorite, of course, is your relegation picks, even though I think they're mostly easy. No offense to these teams. Um, I think Fulham is definitely down there. Uh, I think offensively, they look, they've look they started to look a little better the past Unless three Unless they're weeks. taking penalties. Unless they're taking penalties. Uh, oh, okay, okay. I mean, the Brighton didn't even hit the target, so... <laughs> True. I mean, um, yeah, like their their offense looks okay, but yeah, Mitrovic, I think he scored once so far this season. Like, they really need him to get goals. Like, this is just I don't I hate when teams get promoted to the to the Premier League and they do this to themselves, where they have like a very good number nine. Like Norwich did this last year with Puki, and they're like, "Hey, can you do what you did in the Championship and do it in the Premier League?" And it's just like, well, Puki did it for three weeks and then yeah, he <laughs> to do that. it was very fun for three weeks he beat uh <laughs> did he score when they beat manchester city oh he did 
Yes, then, but I uh, Cantwell did that dance scoring the <laughs> the winner. I was gonna say like, uh, oh, <laughs> oh god, yeah, you reminded me of that game. Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, Fulham. Uh, yeah, offense is picking up, but their defense is bad, 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 bad. It is not good. <laughs> West Brom. It is all bad, 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 bad. <laughs> like there are exactly two good players on this team. And unfortunately, uh, both uh, Grady Diangana and Mateus Pereira play wing, so they also have to track back and help their fullbacks. But they also need to get forward and hit on the break. So yeah, the team is bad. Um, who uh, who are your, who are your relegation picks? So, so yeah, I've got those two teams going down, um, and then I think the third is going to be Burnley. Mm. Um, I think like. Obviously, Sheffield United are off to a very bad start. And um, up until this weekend, they had scored the least amount of goals. Uh, and that's a problem. Like, you have to, you have to score goals. <laughs> that's kind of the point of this whole thing. Um, as I've said, like, probably three times already. Uh, but Just remember, I, kids, soccer ball, soccer net. Yep. Uh, but I think, like, there's enough sort of like that team hasn't changed from the team last year that kind of surprised everybody bar the goalkeeper who I think the goalkeeper is very bad but I think he's fine I don't think he's not good he is fine (laughs) I don't think he starts for he doesn't start for Burnley Uh, (laughs) okay that's I don't think he starts for Fulham I don't think he starts for Brighton and I'm just going off the teams at the bottom here. I don't think he starts for Manchester United. Uh, well, I think I think the, the thing with Ram the joke. thing with Ramsdale, <laughs> the thing with Ramsdale is that you, what happened last season with Sheffield United is that Henderson Dean Henderson did make their defense look a little better. Uh, like I think I I'm not sure what exact numbers are, but I I think he probably saved them at least like five six points last season. And Ramsdale is—he's not. God, I feel—I feel bad because the dude isn't even playing right now. But he's not Kepa Ariso Balaga. Is how I'm going to put this. Yeah. And we live in a world where, like, okay, he's not like great, but he is fine. I think there's probably one other team in the league that he starts for, and that's Leeds. But that's because Bielsa doesn't really think goalkeepers are real Exist. footballers. Yeah, so, that is true. Yeah. Uh, maybe he doesn't. And maybe the weird French kid that they have who plays more like a center back than anything else, <laughs> uh, maybe he doesn't. I was like going to say, yeah, I was gonna, that doesn't even count. <laughs> uh, and even uh, Sam Johnston at West Brom, I think, is better. So uh, maybe that's a problem. But I like, I think that they'll be fine. I think they'll kind of do what Brighton did last year where everybody will kind of worry and then there's eight games to go and they're safe. So, um, and Burnley, I think, uh, Sean Dyche and they're, they're kind of in that place where Newcastle were a couple of seasons ago where you think they're going to get a new owner in and they're going to have a good January transfer window and everything's going to be fine. And they have an experienced manager and then <laughs> all of a sudden it's April they don't have 20 points and <laughs> they're done. 
Plus he's plus he's a Tory, so fuck him. <laughs> Wait, who's a Tory? Sean Dyche. Oh. Well, I mean, well, what's the joke that Burnley only employ everybody with a forklift operating license? So, <laughs> yeah. there's, um, no, there's nothing wrong with the working class, but <laughs> there's definitely. Oh, that was more. That was more of a visual slash aesthetic. Yeah. But as as for Sean Dice, yeah, uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get into that. <laughs> if we want to get into it, then yeah. Uh, let's just say that is there is some kind of negative karma that needs to be restored with Burnley. If that's how we're gonna put it, <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess you and I are on the same wavelength because yeah, I also uh, think Bur- this is fun- gonna be the year that uh, this iteration of Burnley goes down because yeah, I think that Deitch. I don't. I feel bad because I don't know if Deitch has run his course. I don't think he has. I think it just they just haven't. They didn't help him out at all in the well, transfer. Yeah, like, they didn't like, even you- uh, sign most of their team. That so like during project restart he was missing like seven players that were out of contract because contract. They, didn't, they didn't extend the players for the two months that they needed to finish the season so like jeff Hendricks was one jeff of them Hendricks, he yeah. ended up going to it was newcastle right and it uh, looks pretty good at newcastle yeah. actually <laughs> uh uh yeah so like that's the big one to be completely honest yep although like and it's not to it's not, some of the defenders uh, a, do so it's not slanderous to I don't mean to be slanderous to Jeff Hendrick too, but I think that shows you how how poor Burnley's are not that they're missing quite literally Jeff Hendrick, who's like a perfectly solid like a really perfectly solid like Premier like mid table, like Premier League midfielder. I will say and Everton like, could use him. <laughs> at this rate, uh you may be right. But um yeah, I mean it's just weird like they brought in uh Dale Stevens from Brighton, and it's just weird that they brought in a guy a guy from Brighton that Brighton didn't particularly need, like yeah, yeah and, Brighton, and like, like they didn't need him at all. Like and they finished yeah. ahead of Brighton last season. Yeah, this like I don't know what they're doing with this team. Like just like all they needed was to either keep Jeff Hendrick or to sign a midfielder. To which to which I would say Brighton has another very good passing and not just like good, like he's very good passing midfielder in Pascal Gross, and he wasn't even starting to begin the season. Although he has been playing more now, but um, and Aaron Mooney went to um, China. Oh, yeah, Aaron Mooney went to China. Um, to, like oh. two two <laughs> players that fit the aesthetic of Burnley and would have actually. <laughs> oh god, the mar- uh, the marketing person is just absolutely furious <laughs> at whatever the director of football's doing. <laughs> uh, and also, this team has like no wide attackers, which is absolutely bizarre to me considering they really need wide attackers <laughs> it's like very close to the fulcrum of their game that is like getting the ball to their center forwards who are very good which is why this is so frustrating like like chris wood and ashley Barnes are like a, they it doesn't make sense that they're as good a partnership as they are but and jay rodriguez like, is decent too and jay rodriguez off the bench yeah very like he like not to be cliche, but he is like a very good like. You bring him on in the 60th minute after, yeah. like center backs have had to deal with both Barnes and Woods, like physically speaking, and then you have like Rodriguez who, like, is. I I can't lie and say I watch a lot of Jay Rodriguez, but he's not like the like poacher or target man that the other two are. But yeah, I don't. Oh God, this Burnley team. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I agree. Uh, Sheffield United uh, will be fine going forward. I mean, David McGoldrick is scoring goals. Like, if that doesn't give you hope, then I don't know what will give you hope. <laughs> David McGoldrick is scoring goals. Like, I couldn't score a goal to save his life last season. <laughs> well, he went even longer than a season without a goal. Going back to the championship, yeah. yeah. It was like 16 months or something like that. Like, like Lise Mousset would literally score goals by accident or just from standing in the middle of the box. And then David McGoldrick, for all the work he does behind the ball and opening space up for guys, ironically, like Lise Mousset, he could not get a goal to save his own life. But now he's got, I think, two. Maybe, right? He's got at least two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, uh, we were, we've talked about Brighton in passing, uh, but I think we both agree that Brighton is good. And I like them mostly because they're one of the few, like, they're a very rare re- relegation battler that is very good on the ball. Like, you don't get a lot of those. Yeah. Like, it's usually all those teams, like, hunkering down, and it's like, Plus you're really I, playing for one nils or draws. I adore Adam Lallana, so I'm happy he's somewhere thriving Um, yeah their their midfield is so wonky but i love i love that combination of lalana basuma who i'm very glad to see is finally starting for them i always thought he was very good and alzate who i had never really seen before the season but is kind of from um juventus oh i had no idea interesting uh just kidding so now now immediately oh is that Oh, okay. I was thinking of somebody gonna, else. Sorry. I was going to say, if that was true, then immediately I would have to start doubling down on him as one to watch for. I was getting ready to fire up his metrics and look up uh, under 21 uh, highlight tapes. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know who I confused them with, but they were somebody. So. But yeah, um, who else would be... Who would we traditionally consider in the relegation race? I mean, Newcastle, but Newcastle are... And West Ham. And both of those teams are going to be fine. Uh, I, I mean, I think West Ham were always going to be fine, to be completely honest. Like, I didn't think they'd be this good, but they are very good. And maybe that, that that's a disservice to David Moyes, who finally lasted more than a season at a team for the first time since Everton. <laughs> but like, yeah, this team, look, this West Ham team, like, I think, I think they're gonna they're gonna be a little bit up and down, but I could see them finishing like being like the spoiler eighth or ninth team ninth team and making it hard for like an arsenal trying to get higher up the table <laughs> like because yeah i mean like this te- like i i don't know like you look at this roster like i mean over the years west Ham have had a weird assortment of talent but this team is good well they finally have and, an identity i think that's the thing like yeah like they, they got rid of some of their high profile signings that they made a few years ago that didn't work out like felipe anderson um and then, yeah, like players like him and Marko Arnautovic who are good, but just like consistently, or yeah, for the identity of the team tactically, they were kind of just good players. And, and all they wanted this, to do built this identity around signing the best championship players and being very physical. Um, yeah, and it's and it's working. I mean, Mikel Antonio yeah. is having a renaissance as a number nine. Yeah. Like, I mean, who could have seen that coming? Um, I was really good too. He's like a oh four. Yeah, I'm very glad to see that he's worked out because he's I like thought a he was a great signing. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's basically Coutinho without the shooting, like literally. <laughs> well, he scored against Liverpool. 
He did score against Liverpool, but I mean, like he's Coutinho without the shooting from outside of the box. <laughs> yes, without the uh, taking somebody's head off, and he's he's a little bit. I yeah, he's I don't know, maybe he's closer to like dollar store James Madison a tiny bit. Okay, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I, I like for now. Yeah, we're just talking about Antonio. I mean, Antonio's keeping Haller on the bench sometimes, which is hilarious to say. <laughs> Well, now Antonio is going to be out for a few months because he. Yeah, so now Hilaire is. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's fun. Like honestly, if you're not wrong that they finally have an identity, I think all he's done is created Everton 2.0 because literally he has uh, Jared Bowen and yeah. uh, he has Bowen and um. Declan Rice. Who's, uh, De- oh no, I was going to say he has Jared Bowen and uh, oh Ryan Fredericks, and it's basically that. He's recreated Stephen Pinar and Leighton Baines. <laughs> and then he's even got his own Fellaini 2.0 in uh, Thomas Suchek, who honestly is quite good. It, it, the 2.0 in the truest sense that he is a better version of what uh, of what Fellaini used to be. Yeah, and, because and like he is very that. he's very good defensively. And like Rice was like good defensively, and now he but I think it was reaching a point where West Ham needed him to be great. And I'm just like, no, no, no. Like the dude's like, you can't cover that much space. And now it's like Rice kind of just sits at the base midfield and passes the ball left and right. And then Suchek like covers defensively and then randomly gets to the box for a header. And he does it very consistently. Yeah, this team is, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm assuming you don't want to talk about Crystal Palace, but... We we can all agree that they're gonna be safe. <laughs> yeah, I I think they're fine, and it's weird that Roy Hodgson is still manager because uh, I'm pretty sure he's been dead for two years. <laughs> but uh, the just modern medicine is incredible. <laughs> Whew, well, uh, I think we've talked about. I hope you don't get sued for that one. <laughs> That that would imply that any that would imply <laughs> that Crystal Palace supporters listen to this podcast. Although I would be flattered if they did. And if if you do, thanks. If not, well, oh yeah. Please don't sue us. Um <laughs> yeah, I think that we have covered well, we've covered pretty much everything we've wanted to talk about about the Premier League. The most fun league in the world right now. The Premier League, we have fun. That's gonna be the new motto. <laughs> Everybody is dying, and all of their like all of them will need horse placentas, approximately like six to twelve months from now. But we have fun. <laughs> uh, Mark, thank you, thank you so much, especially in your current condition, for coming on and talking a lot of shit with me. Um, is there anything you'd like to say? Uh, no. Good luck. Wash your hands. All that stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. thanks again to mark kastner for taking the time to talk to me if you would like to read or hear any of his work again you can find him on sb nation either at the liverpool offside or sounder at heart as always thank you for listening don't forget to submit any listener questions you have for me on twitter of course don't forget to subscribe follow like and or rate us on your preferred podcast listening platform This was another episode of The Field. I will talk to you again soon. Stay safe, stay healthy, love yourself, and love the game. Cheers.